when I say social impact, I mean how you treat the people and, you know, by creating sustainable jobs, by paying them fair living wages and um, really empowering them. And what that does to a, a community that has been marginalized or doesn't have a lot of opportunity, it's, it creates a lasting and a sustainable impact. Hello, happy Monday, and welcome back to the Innovator Podcast. You guys, season one is coming to an end. Believe it or not, season one had 31 episodes ending with this one. We've been running since January of 2020. We're going to take a quick pause here in October of 2021, recuperate, spend the holidays with family, and then we're going to come back with season two. There have been so many things that I have wanted to change around about the podcast, add to it to make sure that I'm giving you guys value. And I'm going to take a little bit of time, figure those things out, and we're going to come back in January of 2021, better than ever, ready to tackle a whole nother series of interviews with female entrepreneurs. So if this is your first time tuning in to the Innovator Podcast, welcome. It is a female entrepreneur series that really dives into the stories of how women founders tackle hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan, and I am the host of the Innovator Podcast. And today for our finale episode, I'm welcoming Kahindo Matene. Kahindo is the founder and creative director of Kahindo, a luxury woman's fashion wear brand designed in New York City, ethically produced in Africa, and available on Rent the Runway and Industry Africa. She's a graduate of the Illinois Institute of Art in Chicago and founded the Kahindo brand in 2009. Kahindo is passionate about weaving her African heritage into her collection and empowering women of all ages, sizes, and backgrounds, both in her native country and around the world. She was a part of the Macy's Esteem Fashion Incubator Program and a contestant on Season 12 of Project Runway, so you know we talked about that in this episode as well. Kahindo, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Hi, Kahindo. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast today to talk about your experience in the fashion industry. And I want to talk more about what led you to where you are today and your current collection that I had the opportunity to look a little bit into on your website. Um, But how I always like to start this is for you to start us at the very beginning and talk to us about what your early life was like and how your story has evolved to get you where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's an interesting story, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so I was actually born in Uganda, East Africa, um, to Congolese parents, and I'm one of five children. Um, I have three older brothers and a younger sister. And um, so we, my father was a diplomat, so that's why um, we ended up you know, in Uganda, um, and lived there for about six years. And then um, a war broke out, a civil war broke out. So we had to leave um, kind of like in the middle of the night and um, drove um, to Kenya. I mean, I was young, so a lot of this information is through like my brothers, Um, but drove to Kenya. And I remember my, I think I was um, six or yeah, I think six or just turned seven. 
um, my, my parents put my brothers and I in, um, in boarding school in Kenya. So, and interestingly enough, um, that boarding school, one, I had to, you know, where to wear a uniform and it was like an army green uniform for the longest time and it was i was there for 10 years in the same boarding school so i have like friends that i've known since i was seven years old um but then in between those 10 years um we were we moved around a lot so my father was stationed in different countries. So from Uganda, we moved to Ethiopia and then um, Niger, which is in West Africa with a little stint in Nigeria. And every Christmas we would go um, to Congo. And it was interesting because we're from the east of Congo um, where they speak Swahili. And, you know, my father always, I guess, knew that we would never really live in Congo. So he, and he was a linguist. So he made sure we knew like, um, you know, the national language, which is Lingala. We spoke it fluently as, as well as just growing up in a very rich culture you know i remember we used to have um a lot of music you know in the house my father loved like classic um congolese music as well as um you know he was also very ahead of his time because he um he taped us like a lot of our lives are um captured on video so from like birthdays to you know, trips, um, traveling, you know, so that was incredible. Um, I did lose my mother when I was very young, when I was seven years old, um, which was difficult, but I think being in boarding school somehow made it easier because, you know, I had all these other girls, you know, and then my aunt also kind of played my mother figure. Um, and then I, I moved to the States um, for college when I was 17 and um, went to a tiny, it was culture shock. And when I say that, people always, um, you know, they're a little bit surprised because this Kenya was very developed, you know, um, and it was a cosmopolitan town and Nairobi, um, which is the capital city of Kenya. So when I moved to a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of cornfields in Illinois, where there was like one stoplight and like one Walmart, I was shocked because I was like, I'm used to being, you know, in a large town. Um, but yeah, that was kind of um, how I grew up, moving a lot, traveling a lot and, um, ended up in the U.S. for college. I love that you touched a little bit on, you know, your experience and moving around because your fashion line really does weave in your African heritage. Um, there's a lot of bright colors, gorgeous patterns. Um, is that, you know, where you truly got your inspiration from was like the culture there that you were able to encompass in this brand. Um, so what was like really your vision when you started that brand, was it something, you know, in college that you were attracted to or did it come a little bit later down the line? Yeah, so it came down um, much later down the line. Um, you know, my father was a PhD educated um, diplomat. So 
telling him I wanted to be a fashion designer was just not going to fly with him. So um, I was a good daughter and I studied um, international business and economics um, with a minor in Spanish. So I graduated with a bachelor's degree and then worked in marketing. I found myself working in marketing. And I remember I was working at a um, tool manufacturing company as like a marketing analyst and I hated it and it showed because I got fired. And after that, I just sat and I was like, what do I love to do? And I'd always loved fashion. Um, and I always remember when I first moved to the States, you know, um, Congolese culture and a lot of different African um, cultures, the, the culture is you go pick your fabric in the market, then you go to your local seamstress and you get custom bespoke clothing made. So I, that had always stayed with me. And when I came to the States, that's all I had. I had, I mean, I had maybe one pair of jeans, but most of it was like custom dresses, tops, you know, that I had made for me. And, um, and I remember wearing them to class and people would like look at me, you know, because they were very like traditional. So I always thought, what if I could create you know, a fashion brand that could, you know, encompass and really showcase my African heritage, but in a modern way, you know, in a way that I could wear it to class and people would be, you know, wouldn't stare because it was so like um, traditional, but would, would be like inquisitive and be oh you know that's cute that's like shorts or pants you know like in in African print so that was kind of my inspiration and then I also wanted to tell like authentic stories about Africa um, and I call myself I'm a Pan-African because I grew up all over Africa so you know the news just if you listen to it you'll think that Africa is just like the black continent and there's like, you know, there's poverty and strife and war and all of that. So I wanted to showcase um, positive stories and weave those stories in my fashion brand. One thing that really stood out to me when I was, you know, doing a little bit of research for this episode um, was that on your website, it says wearable art with social impact. And I think that's so great too. So you're creating the, these garments that, like you said, you know, it wouldn't stand out as much. It wasn't as traditional, but still had those traditional touches. So, you know, what does that really mean to you to create this wearable art with social impact? Can you dive a little bit deeper into what that means? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, with telling authentic African stories, I've always wanted to do that through my brand. And um, in 2017, I rebranded to not only have um, this ethical mission, but I also started designing my own prints. And that allowed me a lot of creativity. And for um, my spring, one of my first collections, um, I partnered up with a Nigerian artist. His name is Deepo Doherty. Took one of his paintings and um, created, you know, a pattern and printed it on a textile design print. And um, I remember people like loved the collection and you know they were like oh my god I just kept on hearing wearable art wearable art so you know and that's exactly what it was I always knew that's what I, I just didn't 
um, you know, think of it as wearable art because people just thought it was beautiful. They loved the feel of it. And then the social impact piece has always kind of been ingrained um, in my brand, but I really have made it at the forefront and the mission. And it's really, you know, I try whenever I think of Kahindo and what we stand for, I always go back to the social impact mission. And what that means is, you know, when people talk about sustainability, they talk about like the environment, right? Mostly. But I want to showcase the other side of sustainability because people, you know, people are also need to be considered in the equation. And um, when I say social impact, I mean how you treat the people and you know by creating sustainable jobs by paying them fair living wages and um, really empowering them and what that does to a, a community that has been marginalized or doesn't have a lot of opportunity it's it creates a lasting and a sustainable impact where whereby you know the women are able to you know, afford to take their kids to school, the artisans that I work with in Congo. Therefore, they're able to, you know, afford healthcare for their children. Um, Congo has been impacted by a lot of war and a lot of strife. So a lot of women end up being single mothers and not able to support themselves. So this is kind of my mission to to give them a, a way to earn a fair living wage while being able to support their communities as well as support their families. I think that's so fantastic because you're you're spot on. You know, normally when you hear um, sustainability, people automatically think of the environment, which is fantastic. That's an important aspect as well. But the people, like thinking about the people that make up a company, that make up a community, and whether or not they're given the resources, whether it be fair wages or giving them, you know, a safe working environment, that's something that isn't afforded to everyone that we definitely take for granted a lot of the time. So I think that's so important that, you know, you're not only providing this wearable art, but it's also giving back to a greater purpose. You know, you're, you're giving back to the treatment of people and making sure that they're good and that I, I always feel what goes around comes around, right? So if you have the opportunity to do good that gives back, I mean, why why not? That's an amazing way to use your platform. Yeah, absolutely. So I also wanted to dive into, you know, once you were getting underway as a fashion designer and really establishing your brand, um, you took part of two very prestigious opportunities. The first was the Macy's um, fashion incubator program. And then you were a contestant on season 12 of Project Runway, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners know um, exactly what that show is. I want to dive a little bit deeper into these opportunities, how they helped you grow your brand, and then what you really got out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they were both <clears throat> incredible opportunities um, that I think have really, you know, shaped um, my brand, myself, and um, just my journey. Um, and the first of which was the Chicago Fashion Incubator at Macy's on State Street. And I was accepted in, I think, March 2011. And um, it's interesting because this was 
you know, it was an opportunity um, that I had applied for, I think the three times, and it was the third time that I was um, accepted. The prior two times I was rejected. Um, and it was extremely important because, you know, after I did my bachelor's in international business and decided to go back to school, um, or to to be a fashion designer, and I then went back to school and um, got a, a fashion design degree from the Illinois Institute of Art in Chicago. What it was great because I learned how to pattern make, I learned how to sew, and all of that, which is incredible. But I always knew that I wanted to own and you know have my own business and what they don't teach you in fashion school is how to run a business so the chicago fashion incubator did exactly that you know it gave us tools and business courses and experts came in to teach us how to run a business from having a website to you know, just um, pricing, you know, which is more complicated than people think to sourcing fabric to um, just curating and merchandising a collection and selling it, you know, selling it to stores, selling it direct to consumer. And it was wonderful because we had um, a floor um, in, you know, the Macy's um, building in Chicago. And it was six of us. And we were all, you know, it was good to work together, you know, to kind of figure out how to run and build our businesses. So it was great to have that network. Um, and it actually looked, um, we had an office space as well as um, a workspace that looked like Project One Way. So it was interesting. I think it was kind of like a hint of what to come. Um, but we had cutting tables and mannequins and you know we could use that space. So it was just great to have that camaraderie as well as the space and the support. Of, of Macy's. Um, and then similarly, um, the, actually, yeah, the um, Project Runway came about in a similar fashion. Obviously, I knew of the show and I'd applied several times. And I think the second to last time I thought I had gotten it, I remember I wasn't able to attend um, one of the casting calls in Chicago because I was traveling and I ended up attending it in LA and two of my friends from high school were my models, but then I never got um, the final call back. And then the third time I applied, I was accepted and it was, it was like one of the greatest um, achievements because I never gave up one. And, and then I was actually selected out of hundreds of other designers to compete on, um, on the show, you know, because we were competing for not only, uh, I think it was $100,000, but also um, to be able to, you know, really grow our brand and reach um, such a wide audience. So it was, it was an interesting um, time for sure um it's and it really opened my eyes um to to reality television because even though it was a fashion competition it was a reality television first and foremost um but it was it was it was a great time um a little bit disappointing because i got eliminated second but still it was such an accomplishment even being on the show
Absolutely. Quite an accomplishment even to be there. I mean, I think that's so cool. I grew up watching Project Runway um, and I, I've always wondered if it is truly that dramatic behind the scenes or if it's all for television. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is even, I feel more dramatic, but you know, sometimes you forget that it's a television show and then being in it, you know, when those close-ups happen, you don't realize it, or I guess the audience doesn't realize how close and how hot the camera is like in your face and you're trying to like finish a garment and run around everywhere and you you know, so I think it's even 10 times more intense, um, like behind the scenes because, you know, they're filming and they have to capture and, you know, the, the moment, but it's, and it's all real. At least that's what I can say. Everything that happens in the show is real. Um, the editing is also real, but um, nothing is, is fake, right? Like people's reactions and things like that. And the intensity is all real. And a lot of, I mean, some people aren't able to handle it because it's truly fast paced. And, you know, it, like they put you in circumstances that are not like real circumstances, right? Because when are you ever really going to have only a day to make an outfit yeah. that needs to be perfect? But um, it was, it was fun. It was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. One of my um, like craziest memories was when I was, um, gosh, I think I was about to start my sophomore year of high school and I was studying at the Laboratory Institute of Merchandising up in New York City one summer. And I was in Times Square with a friend when they were filming the very first episode of one of the seasons of Project Runway. And they were coming through behind us with the camera and up and on one of the monitors in Times Square, they had Project Runway. And I just remember the camera crew saying, okay, now freak out now. And they all started screaming and they started sleeping. And I was like, that is too freaking cool. It was like <laughs> one of the coolest experiences. Yeah, yeah. And that's how it is, you know. I mean, they do, you know, give you like those kind of prompts, you know, to do it. But it was, that's how it was. It was just, we were all over the city um, just filming and it, it had to be all hush hush because, you know, they film it like two, three months before it airs. So it was all like all very undercover, which was, which was also interesting. Sounds so exciting. Yeah. One thing you touched on with the Macy's incubator program that I wanted to go back on is, you know, you said when you were in school studying, you learned all of the artistic necessities for being a designer, but they didn't really have, you know, the business skills. So that's what you went to seek out, you know, sourcing and building your website and merchandising and everything like that. Um, and I think a lot of programs are really good at giving you one and maybe not the other. Um, so what really sparked the interest in you to go and say, you know what, I want to become more educated in the business side of it so I can be as successful as possible? Yes. Um, I think it's because I, one, I always knew that I wanted to own my own fashion brand. Um, and even though I had a business degree, it's not like I had a lot of experience in running a fashion business. 
And I also knew, I think in the back of my head subconsciously that I would have to do this by myself for quite a long time, which is what has happened. I've been kind of a solopreneur for, um, since I started. And it's just now that I'm looking to grow my team. So I wanted to be not only as educated as possible in all facets of the fashion industry, but um, also have the tools to to be able to run a fashion company by myself. Because, you know, initially I thought, you know, when I started my brand in 2009, that it would just blow up and I'll just be like this overnight success. But I think in the back of my mind, I knew that, you know, it might take longer and it has taken a long time. Um, So I just wanted to be equipped you know, with all this, the, all the skills, you know, in, in running a business, a fashion business. And, and similarly, you know, that's why I went back to school and got a fashion design degree because they are designers out there, even brands, big brands that, you know, the main designer might not have gotten, might not have a fashion design degree, but I knew, I wanted to be able to sew because if I knew it, I can then teach it to someone else. But also in the early days, I was making everything myself. And I was only able to do that because I had that skill set. Do you currently, you know, have a team now? Do you have people helping you out? So um, a little bit. So um, in terms of in terms of designing and I, I am really a solopreneur but i do work with consultants so mm-hmm. um so i have like a contractor that helps me with like the pattern making i have someone who helps me um create my vision of the textile prints um and then apart from that i have you know the the artisans in in Congo and then I also had worked previously with artisans in and there were refugee women in Kenya to create um fabric which was this hand-dyed fabric for my um spring collection so I do but I realize the bigger I get or if I want to grow my business into um, you know a big, successful, sustainable business. I do need help, um, so that's kind of where I am. But you know, I've been bootstrapped the whole time, so it's it's been hard to grow my team. So I am looking for investors so I can grow my team and you know get a merchandiser an assistant designer a production manager um but until then um i kind of i do this full time now so so i'm able to to juggle and and then the artisans um really take a lot of the the work in you know they're the ones who like sew the pieces but i provide them the patterns and i source the fabric as well Sounds like quite the juggling act. I mean, I know a lot goes into the work you do every single day. And, you know, and kind of going off of that, this is a totally broad question, but I do think it is interesting to ask and hear different perspectives. But what does entrepreneurship mean to you? 
Entrepreneurship is, it's, it can be a lonely road, but the reason why I ventured down this crazy path of entrepreneurship is because I wanted to really own the direction of my life. I wanted to be in control of it, not only how I spent my time, I wanted to be the boss of my life and um, you know, control that because when you work for someone else, you're always, you have to report to someone else, you know, and I, I've had a day job for quite um, a huge part of my entrepreneurial journey, but at the same time, I was able to, um, to control and have control over my business, over my life and, you know, be able to, to kind of draw the path that I wanted to go down. And it gives you that, the freedom to do that, right? It gives you the freedom to, to say how much, how you want to live your life, how you want to work, how much money you want to make. Um, but it's also incredibly um, challenging. Sometimes it can be incredibly lonely, but, um, and that's why they say if you, that saying of if you um, if you love what you do, then it doesn't feel like work, and and then you really have to be truly passionate, right? Because there are going to be good days and difficult days, and I think the passion and the mission will always get you through it, get you through the difficult times. Um, but you know, it's it's also very very freeing to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear in a lot of cases for the women that I had the opportunity to speak with. A lot of the time it boils down to, you know, that freedom and it definitely comes with its challenges, but, you know, the freedom to take charge of what your day looks like and, you know, kind of going off of that, um, can you walk us kind of through a normal day in your life if there even is such a thing as a normal day as an entrepreneur? <laughs> yeah, there um there isn't a a normal day, but I can kind of um maybe in a month kind of what I I I work on. So for example, um actually I'll I'll say this week what I worked on. Um I received my samples for my next collection which is for spring 21 when hopefully everything goes back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, just getting those samples um, from Congo that, that artisans worked on was a huge, huge deal because it was um, 13 styles. And previously they've only really made like four styles. So this was really um, challenging for them. Um, and then I'm very, very picky in terms of, um, you know, quality. So we worked diligently to make sure the quality was up to, you know, my super high standards. Um, so I got the, I just received the, the DHL package and even dealing with DHL was a whole other story, but I received them this week, which was awesome. And, um, and then this week I've also been working on, um, 
planning a photo shoots for the collection because when I receive them, I need to, you know, get images that I can then send to stores to try and get orders. So that I met with a creative director who's going to help me source some models, some photographer, a makeup artist to shoot the collection so I can um, start the selling season, which essentially, um, and I do have a showroom that I just signed up with and they, you know, the showroom has contacts with specialty stores as well as some department stores. So for example, for like Saks and Intermix and Shopop, um, and like net-a-porter so i want to present my collection to them to the buyers so they can place wholesale orders for next season and to be delivered for example march 15th or march 31st so we do this nearly six months in advance um what else? And then on the other side, you know, because I do sell direct to consumer on my website, I'm starting to gear up for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So just working on optimizing um, my website, working on launching several marketing initiatives um, to kind of drive traffic and conversions. So um, looking to launch an SMS program. SMS marketing program, an influencer program. Um, I just launched a referral program. So there are a lot of marketing initiatives um, that I'm working on launching and, um, and then constantly working with my web developer to web developer to optimize, you know, the website. So it's, it's loading fast and that all the information is there. I had to sign up for um, uh, like a phone number, a business phone number. So I don't put my personal phone number out there. Um, and in the midst of all of this, I need to, you know, I'm doing like interviews and webinars and um, trying to enter some holiday gift guides um, from, from, for promotional purposes for um, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. <laughs> That's just a, a couple of things I'm working on. <laughs> a few things. It sounds like um, there are really no off days for you. Yes, that's that's how it sometimes feels like. Um, but I have also learned to take those off days, right? Because I can sometimes tend to be a workaholic. And um, I realize in the long run, it's not sustainable. So I might have packed intense long days, but I try not to work like on the weekends and just really decompress and spend time with family and friends um, as much as I can during this, you know, COVID times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. One of the favorite things um, that we've talked about on the show before is that you can't pour out of an empty cup. You cannot have the gas going 24 seven because at some point you are just going to be going off the rails. Exactly, exactly. And I truly believe in um, self-care, you know, which for me on a daily basis is, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I do wake up my mornings like reading a devotional and then um, or some type of um, Bible scripture and then meditating and then working out. So I try and really do that um, on a daily basis. And 
Um, and then just, you know, going, getting my nails done or even taking uh, a mini vacation or walking in Central Park, you know. So I just try and have those moments um, because you do really need to fuel your body, mind and soul to be as efficient and effective and productive as possible. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. So when you have off time, you know, to consume content, what is a book, a resource or a podcast that you love and want to share with the audience? Yes. So, um, you know, since I'm always trying to, um, I love learning and um, just hearing other entrepreneurial stories. So one of my favorite podcasts is um, How They Built It by Guy, Guy, Guy Faz, I believe that's his name. Yeah. Yeah. Guy Raz, How I Built This with Guy Raz. So that's one of my favorite um, podcasts because it just kind of delves into um, kind of this similar to, you know, your podcast um, into stories of entrepreneurs and how, how, how they built their company. And I mean, it's like for you know, super accomplished entrepreneurs from, but you just never know, you know, um, the journey they, they took, the challenges that they faced in order to become a successful um, business. So that's, it's always motivating for me to, to listen to them. And I tend to do it on like my daily walks um, in Central Park. And then another podcast that I really enjoyed is, um, is Michelle Obama's podcast, mm -hmm. um, you know, because she, again, you know, Michelle Obama, you know, she's, she's huge. Everyone knows Michelle Obama, but also just hearing, you know, what she's been going through, especially during this time of COVID and it's affected everyone really difficult and she opens up about it you know as former first lady and just that she's had difficult days so it's always it's great not great that she went through it but great that she's opening up and you know she you can relate to her more because people think you know first ladies i guess they don't go through difficult times but she was just for her being vulnerable it's 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 really incredible because, you know, you don't feel like you're alone going through these difficult times that we're living in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do find her extremely personable when I, I listen to her podcast as well. And it just, it gives me a sense of it's going to be okay. Exactly. <laughs> she yeah. dealt with it. She's amazing. I mean, yeah, she's, she's incredible. And then How I Built This is another one I listen to every single time there's a new episode. And one of my favorite episodes is when he interviewed Sarah Blakely. It was one of the very, very first episodes. And, um, you know, she's the founder of Spanx. And just, I think the woman could have been able to build anything just because she has such a strong mindset. Um, but that's a fantastic episode as well. Yes, yes. I, I listened to that one. And I love listening to, um, you know, female entrepreneurial stories, even you know, my brand is um, carried at Rent the Runway and um, just, and I also worked in a different capacity at Rent the Runway, but I never knew the backstory of how Jen Hyman, the, the CEO, you know, what it, what it took and all the challenges, you know, she faced in, in building um, Rent the Runway, which is a hugely successful company. Mm -hmm. I love hearing about 
you know, that, that it's part of the reason I started this podcast is I love hearing about the negatives that led to positives because I think prior to having like podcasts and outlets to have these conversations, it, it seemed like everyone was living in this perfect utopia and nothing ever went wrong. And I'm just so thankful that there are now platforms sharing these stories and sharing like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's super negative, but here is how you turn it into a positive. So helpful. It truly is. And, you know, like the break, someone mentioned to me this the other day, the breakdown leads to the breakthrough, you know, and I just actually have that written down in my office because it's so true. And you're so right, you know, just because people always think that success comes so easy and so quickly. And, you know, it takes what, like 10,000 hours or something to be successful, like the Beatles. So, and, and some people, you know, they just want success to come so fast. And for me, it's taken over 11 years. And just after 11 years, this year is when I'm seeing some sort of success and I'm not even halfway to what I want to build, you know, Kahindo, my brand to be. So um, I feel like I'm just starting out, which sounds crazy after doing this for nearly 11 years. Um, but it's it's been quite the journey and just, you know, knowing that other people have gone through, you know, so many like challenges, ups and downs, you know, I always feel like I'm not alone, which is, which is good because like I said, um, an entre- being, this entrepreneurial journey can be sometimes very lonely and you feel like you're in a vacuum and that you're the only one going through it. But it's, it's refreshing to know that, no, I mean, you, people have built billion dollar companies and they started and, you know, how I started and they, they went through what I'm going through. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Kahina, this has been such a fantastic conversation. I mean, so many amazing nuggets of wisdom. And, you know, um, lastly, if the audience is listening and they feel the same way and want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so we are um, all over social media, um, Instagram, Kahindo underscore NYC, Facebook, Kahindo NYC, and then our website, Kahindo, which is K-A-H-I-N-D-O.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Pinterest as well, Kahindo NYC. Well, fantastic. We'll be sure to plug all those in the show notes so that if people are interested and want to connect, it's super easy for them to do so. Um, but, you know, like I just said before, kind of this has been a fantastic conversation. I love having the opportunity to welcome creatives, especially those in the fashion industry, to the podcast. Um, and we're just so thankful you were having the opportunity to have you on today. Yeah, thank you, Erica, for having me on the Innovator podcast. Um, Truly such a pleasure. This is my first official podcast, so I'm super excited. And thank you for having me. 